Welcome to the Asian Digital Supermovers interview series on Clubhouse, where we speak to experts, founders, and investors about the Asian digital economy and ecosystem every week. Monica, Mushir, and I, Pratish, invite guests for a conversation about building, scaling, and operating businesses in Asia. Follow our club on Twitter. Our handle is AD Supermovers for providing us any feedback and staying updated on interview series, guests, and topics. Due to technical difficulties, we were not able to record the conversation between Monica and Stephen Lee right from the beginning. Hence, you will hear this discussion a few minutes into the conversation that Monica and Stephen Lee, head of products at Atomy, are having. Double clicking on a uh, particular item here, you mentioned about a firm and Klarna and the others which have become very big. But in terms of being able to establish yourself as a, a probably as a second mover within Singapore and obviously also still expanding, what have been some of the challenges that you are dealing with in order to establish this value prop? Got it. Yeah. So very good question. At the beginning stage, the BNPL thing is in Singapore. Even in Singapore, it's very, very new. And the merchants never heard about it. And the users never heard about it. The biggest challenge at the beginning is the education of both the merchants and the users. But this is a chicken and egg issue, right? So that's why uh, we take the merchants. Because based on the business model, without merchants, we cannot get the users. That's why we spend a lot of effort on educating our potential merchants. That's why at the beginning stage, it took a long time for us to acquire the first set of the merchants. As a startup, the direction may switch or may change occasionally. So at the beginning stage, the merchant acquisition strategy may not that clear for Atomi. So we wasted some of the times, but we quickly adjusted the direction to be focused on the fashion, beauty, all these kind of gen- Generation Z focused merchants. Yeah, so we spend a lot of time and effort acquiring such merchants in Singapore market and to align with our target audience. I would say the initial challenge is the education of the merchants. And after that, we have the early adopters for the merchants. But how are we going to acquire the users? So this is the, the, the second challenge. So yes, we are providing this 0% interest in a three installment plan for the Singapore users. But the thing is, why the users trust you, right? You are the new payment method. I never heard about you. So you're asking my personal information and you're asking my, 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 my card info in order to make the payment. How do I trust you? So this comes back to the branding. And at the beginning stage, actually, we are promoting this kind of a, a safe payment experience for the users. And we spend a lot of time from the product-wise to ensure every single step, all the user concern and doubts will be solved. Uh, using a product feature tactics. So we are gradually collecting the feedbacks from the users for each of the steps, why the user drop off, and how we're going to uh, solve it using some of the, uh, the design tactics or even change the, the process of the payment. Gradually, working with the marketing team and the branding team, we gradually build up our branding awareness in the market and also uh, alongside with the product feature improvement and the adoption for the users at the beginning stage start to pick up. Yeah, so I would say the much education would be the first problem uh, if you want to run a new BMPL business and the adoption of the users and how you're going to build the trust between you and the users will be another challenge. This is very brilliantly said, Stephen. I think this is the main problem in building a payment network and also trying to create a solution that appeals to both sides of the equation. Yeah. Yeah.
the issuing and the acquiring side and I think people forget about it because if you try to augment one side over the other the disbalance that is created actually doesn't help the product it actually impedes progress but very brilliantly said I'm going to ask you one question and just go do a quick room reset also for people who are raising their hands of course everybody is welcome to come up to the stage and ask their questions for doing that all you need to do is click on the hand raise button which is at the bottom right of your screen also once you come up please to wait for your turn we will be taking questions in the PTR order so the person who comes first will be uh, asking their questions first also last thing please do uh, follow the Asian Digital Super Mover Club you can click on the greenhouse icon at the top of the page there you will be able to see all the club information how to reach us and of course all the upcoming events and we will be having events uh, on Saturday and Sunday which are also going to be calendarized very soon so once you follow us you will receive all these room notifications in not only when we start the room but when we schedule the room now Stephen one important question that most people who want to get into uh, fintech as well as uh, of course in this emerging area which is uh, buy now pay later is what kind of skills do we really need can there be any training that they can undertake right now is there any certification that you recommend are there any books that they should read how should they come to know and understand this field as well as anybody else does in order to be able to make it past an interview and be successful <laughs> got it okay yeah so this is a very interesting you know question i do believe every single person has a huge potential to do everything for me, in the recruitment process, I would identify the candidates in four different areas based on my based on my understanding of the product management. These four areas I categorize as the first one is the product execution, and the second one is the, uh, the customer insight, and third one will be the product strategy, and the fourth one will be influencing people. So under these four different pillars, I have uh, some of the questions asked the candidate. If they are interviewing some junior or entry-level position, I will probably focus on the, uh, the product execution. But if they are interviewing uh, a higher level, a senior, or even the leader level, I will probably focus on the influence of people and product strategy. In terms of the whether the people can step into the fintech industry, whether you need some of the specific, specific experience or skill set, to be honest, I would like to share my own experience. Previously, before I joined Atomi, to be honest, I never touched the fintech-related things uh, at all. I don't have any financial uh, knowledge background. But the thing is, I position myself as a, a consumer-facing product manager, and I frequently talk to the users, understand the pinpoints, and validate their requirements, and come up with a different kind of solutions trying to solve the problems, but at the same time, bringing uh, back the business impact at the same time. I was asked to take up this challenge to build up the Atomi uh, fintech product from scratch. And I do take the challenge and I didn't fear. I don't know anything about it. So I do believe people can learn on the job. And also, if you are a qualified product manager, your self-learning uh, skill set should be there. And uh, you won't be able to, to know everything. But I think is if you have the, uh, the motivation to learn and to ask around and also to, to collaborate with the people who knows the relevant information and to learn from them, I do believe in a short time period, you can pick up the, the fintech uh, related information pretty fast. And actually the fintech is not the rocket science, it's, it's all there. The only thing is you just need to learn about it in the KYC process and the risk management. Once you work with such things for uh, one quarter or, or maximum six months, you will know everything.
So for me, I would recommend the potential product managers who want to jump into the fintech industry. If you want to go to the, uh, the interview for any specific fintech companies, do understand their business model and uh, do understand how they earn money and do understand uh, what are the real pinpoints they are solving and come up with some of the, your own insights and to share with the interviewers and let them know, okay, you are really into it and you have your own thinking and also you are willing to learn. So I do think this is the, uh, the most important characteristics that a potential fintech product manager should have. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. You have de-glamorized fintech and payments for all of us. Now, if it is not attractive, then people will... <laughs> I can. It's not you. difficult. It's not difficult. <laughs> no, absolutely. I totally love that answer. And I think it's important for people to also hear that nothing that is uh, as simple as just seeing and feeling it out there can replace any... And with world life, real-time experience can actually replace what you can learn from books, etc. But in this particular instance, it's really everything is available. All you need to do is just have passion and energy to try and want to learn. Exactly. But, uh, Thank you, Stephen. We have Jatin, Moses and Tripta on stage. So we'll uh, start with our uh, set of audience questions. Jatin, please tell us a little bit about yourself and then shoot your question. Hey, thanks, Monica. Hi, guys. This is Jatin Khanna. I'm currently based out in Bangalore, India. I'm working in an NBFC, particularly working on consumer and SME lending. I am an MBA in finance from University of Rochester, US. And I'm particularly interested in the area of, of course, fintech. Specifically, I want to learn more about buy now, pay later. And I'm really uh, like fascinated by this particular product. So that's why I think uh, it's a very good learning experience for me to be here. Hi, Jati. Nice to meet you. Nice. If I may, I have a thought process in the mind and would like to ask a question to Stephen. So, Stephen, with respect to the BNPL product, what are your thoughts with respect to the whole monetization aspect for this particular product in short term or maybe long term, considering the overall interest-free feature of this particular product? Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, let me explain. Uh, based on the business model, the B2B2C, actually, we charge zero, uh, zero interest uh, from the users which means as a user, what you see is what you pay. But actually, we are doing the same thing as a Master of Visa Club. We are charging official term as the MDR, the merchant discount rate from the merchants. Like Visa Master, they may charge a merchant, uh, you know, a 3 to 3.5 or even 4.5% of the for each of the transaction. But uh, we are signing uh, the contract based on the, uh, the category of the merchants. The charging scheme can be ranged from 3% or up to 10%. 99% of the revenue stream for the BNPL is coming from the merchant's uh, transaction fee. Got it. That, that's helpful. Just a follow-up on this. So, uh, in your own experience, when we talk about building a new BNPL product and kind of reaching out to new merchants to join, where uh, absolutely you have mentioned about the chicken and egg problem, right? So, yeah. whether this MDR... Uh, is something which in your experience uh, you have been able to ask for from the merchants in the very beginning or is it like a slow grow approach of starting off merchants without any associated fee and then after you establish a network of merchants you get the leverage of uh, looking out for this 3 to 10 percent of mdr from the new merchants being added got it yeah good question so to be honest, at the beginning stage, if you are trying to drive the merchant adoption, 
if you are charging a high MDR without validating your your value to the merchants, that will be pretty hard. So for us, at the beginning stage, we have uh, two different strategies. The first one is uh, based on the current merchants network we have. Some of the friends, they are running their own stores. So they are willing to partner with us uh, without charging them a pretty high MDR rate. We are able to absorb the MDR for a certain time period. So this is the for the the friendship merchants. For the uh, the cold call merchants, which means uh, we don't know them before, and we want to charge uh, a certain percentage of the MDR, but normally uh, 80% or to 90% they will reject. They, they say, why are you charging even higher than Visa MasterCard? And uh, what is your value to me? So that's why uh, it is pretty hard for us to charge a higher MDR. So we are still to reduce or observe some of the MDR fees from the, from the beginning. So our value proposition is we are helping you to drive the traffic to you for probably three months or six months without charging your MDR in order to push uh, this kind of merchant adoption rate at the beginning. Yeah. So this is uh, the tactic we used. Great, great. I think that is absolutely helpful for me to understand the overall concept and the approach. So thank you for that, Stephen, and thank you, Monica, for giving me the opportunity. I'm done speaking here. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Ajati. No problem. Hi, Moses. Welcome. Moses, are you speaking on mute? Um, hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon, yeah, Moses. Speaking. Good afternoon. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you can hear me clearly because I'm in transit right now. Yes, we can hear you clearly. Please go ahead with your question. All right. I'm Moses. I work as a product manager for the mobile banking and the internet banking of a financial institution in Nigeria here. This topic is very interesting to me because personally, I have um, a product that I'm selling this as well, integrated to my um, bank's platform. And not just my bank, I'm looking at having it onboarded on all financial apps within the country where um, as a customer, you can open Moses, you're cutting out pretty badly. Would you would you be able to find a stable connection so we can hear you properly? All right, uh, let me do that. You can take sure. the next. Sure, I'll skip your turn for now and we'll come back to you right away. Uh, Tripta, hi, welcome. Please shoot your question. Hi, Monica. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for letting me up on stage. I'm not into fintech. I'm actually a pharma person, but I'm a big fan of uh, buy now, pay later products. For example, Klarna, I use Klarna quite extensively in Germany. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the product because it bundles the credit card system somehow with this pay later option and it works beautifully and seamlessly on the app. What I wanted to ask is that how, uh, in terms of consumers, me being a consumer, I wanted to understand how in in the Asian market, because in, in Germany, we, we have this entire legitimization system that happens and, and runs when you have a buy now, pay later option. In terms of, of this legitimization system, what are the plans that, that the product that, that probably will come into the Asian market have? And how much risk is there for the, for the Asian consumers when it comes to connecting their bank accounts with a buy? now pay later function thanks okay yeah from the market maturity uh, point of view actually the the whole asia market is uh, still in a very early stage comparing to europe comparing to australia or even us that's why we are putting a lot of effort educating both the merchants and the users that's why because it's new and how we're gonna drive adoption from the user's point of view we are doing two things the first thing is we are asking 
we are trying to reduce the friction from the KYC process, the know your customer process. So we are only asking few fields like your date of birth, your IC number, your email address, then you're able to make the payment. You can pass the KYC process. And in terms of the data security, actually, I believe all the BNPL companies, they are partnering with a different PSPs. PSP means the payment service providers. And all the data will be stored in all this global PSP network, which is quite safe, to be honest. And we are explaining this to the users in a very clear way. Your data is very well contained, and we won't expose the data to anybody else. You have the freedom to control how you're going to deal with your data if you don't want to use the product anymore. Yeah, but even we are doing such things to the users and because this is a new thing and uh, a lot of users don't trust us either. So we are still need to we are still trying to from the awareness perspective from the the partnering with the big merchants perspective. We are trying to bring out all, all these kind of concerns and to eliminate the concerns either from the perspective uh, either from the product feature perspective or from the uh, the branding perspective. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Tripta, for your question. We have Kamalika next. Hi, Kamalika. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and then shoot your question. Hi, Monica. Hi, Stephen. Great session. So a little bit about myself. I am an analytics professional in one of the banks and I handle the credit card uh, product. So VNPL is quite close to me. We keep tracking that. So my yeah. questions are more or less related to that only. Uh, the first question is actually on, on the lines of what, what exactly do your consumers view BNPL as an alternative to? Uh, do they view it as an alternative to the traditional credit card or are they using BNPL and then you know paying it off with a credit card in which case it's using another loan to pay off another loan? Uh, which brings me to my second question, which is that in case of defaults, uh, do the BNPLs go back and report it to the bureaus? Got it. Okay. Yeah. So let me answer the first question. I do see the trend that users are using BNPL payment options more often in, in the market that we are running the business right now, like Singapore, Malaysia, and Hong Kong, in these all these developed countries. And I don't think in a short time period, let's say two to three years, the BNPL will become the major payment option for the users. I don't think so. So the adoption rate is going up slowly, but not that fast. And this is not the primary payment option for the for the target audience that we are targeted right now. And in terms of the the bureau control, actually different countries they have a uh, different views regarding the BMPL service. So like in Singapore, actually we are working very closely with the the MAS, the Singapore the Singapore government who is controlling the money and setting up all the policies. They are they are coming out with some of the regulations to regulate the BNPL industry already. Because in Singapore alone, there are around eight players already. Even though some of the players are still small, but they are, they are running the marketing campaigns like mad. The competition is really quite severe right now. And in Singapore, at least in Singapore market, it's a red ocean already. Yeah, Like I said just now, the BNPL is a timing game, which... A uh, player can get the big brands or the, uh, the big retail groups as fast as possible. You are building up your competitive advantage already. So the merchant network is the key, and uh, that's why every single player is trying their best uh, to grab the big brands as much as possible. 
Yeah. And for, for Indonesia, they already have these kind of regulations to regulate because for BMPL, it's still a long business because uh, users just pay one third or one, one quarter of the payment and another, the rest of the bill, actually, we will pay the, pay the merchants, which is we are giving the loan to the users. Yeah, but from the product perspective, we, are, we never mentioned this as a long business because the people, majority of the people doesn't want the sense of debt, right? So we are marketing this whole payment option like we are easing your cash flow. So Indonesia, they already have this kind of regulation, but Philippines, Vietnam, Hong Kong, the BNPL just start to pick up. That's why the government there are still lagging behind, which is there's no such regulations at all. But if the business for BNPL is picking up really quick in all these countries, I believe the government will kick in and to set some of the regulations sooner or later. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Kamalika, for asking the question. Hi, Tanmay. Welcome. Please ask your question. Yeah, hi. Hi, everyone. Am I audible? Yes. Yeah, hi. First of all, thank you, Monica and Pritish, for a topic which is close to my heart. So, a little bit about myself. I head the OEM partnerships for no-cost EMI and BNPL for, for Bajaj Finsurf. And I take care of all the consumer durable and mobile OEMs. So, BNPL is something which I do for bread and butter. Very close to my heart. My question is uh, very simple. So, BNPL uh, started as a trend uh, probably 10 years back in the mobile and the consumer durable category. But do you guys see BNPL catching up in other spaces like other trivial spaces like healthcare and uh, travel and tourism and all that? And if yes, how do you see the risk behavior here or the a repayment pattern here in the other industries apart from the already prevalent and penetrated categories like electronics. So Got it. Yeah, good question, actually. So we do see some of the trends, some of the new BMPL players. They are focusing on some other use cases, like in the hospital, they are trying to let the users to pay the bill, see the doctor now and pay later. And also we do, do see some of other innovative final pay later solutions in other industries, not in the healthcare but also in the insurance industry. I do feel in the near future, there will be uh, many more BMPL companies coming out, solving different industries' uh, problems. But my concern is BMPL is not a kind of, not that kind of payment option that can solve all the payment issue. So for us, based on, on, based on our market research, actually, we see a strong trend uh, in terms of the shopping behaviors from the Gen Z people only. So they are more towards to paying a less paying less right now, but enjoy better things uh, right now. Yeah, but without worrying about the cash flow in the near future. So we do see our target audience from Atomi, at least from Atomi, we are targeting the generation, the generation Z. So that's why based on our target audience, we are targeting all the merchants from the fashion, beauty, uh, beauty service, or beauty product industry. And we are gradually expanding our merchant network, merchant category into travel, even the, the education, all this kind of potentially can be used by the Gen Z people, the merchants. Yeah. And that's why we, to me, was quite focused for the Gen Z people. But uh, if you're running the BMPL for different industries like the healthcare, to be honest, I don't see any of the strong use case here. And the people are willing to use these things if they only pay uh, a small amount of a bill for the healthcare. 
But if you are paying for surgery, thousands of even ten thousands, twenty thousands of the、uh, dollars of the bill, I do see the potential risk will be much higher. And how we gonna collect the information from the from the patient, and how we gonna validate they have the ability to pay back in the near future, and also in terms of yeah, the credit limit they have. I don't think this is easy job for a risk management from a risk management perspective, but for the current BNPL, majority of the players are focusing on、uh, the small the small basket size. Normally, eighty percent are between one hundred to two hundred USD dollars, which means the risk level is pretty lower comparing to other use cases like in the healthcare. So I do see other industries they may have quite innovative BNPL use case. But I don't think the risk management will be as easy as what we have in this kind of fashion or, or beauty industry. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. Great insights. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tanmay, for asking the question. We have Sachit next. Hi, Sachit. Welcome. Please ask your question. Thanks, Monica, and hi, everyone. Just a small introduction from my side. I work in the fintech industry and worked in the product and the partnership side both. My quick question over here is: How do you look at covering the underwriting, and how do you decide? You know, is it a customer-driven limit? Is it an order-driven limit? And、uh, are you getting customers from merchants, or are you getting customers from your own portal? And、uh, I think this question has been asked. But at the same time, if the there are、uh, customers who don't pay back, are there any charges or penalties that you put on a customer for having bad behavior, along with managing the risk of the Uh, installments that they don't pay back on that. Got it. So three questions in total. Yeah, and the first one regarding the credit limit. Actually, for us, the practice right now is we are assigning the the credit limit based on our internal credit score. That this credit score is based on all the information that we collected from the users. But from different countries, actually, we are collecting different kind of information from the users. If the risk, if the the fraud risk is higher, like in Indonesia, so we are collecting uh, uh, a lot, a little bit more、uh, information from the users, and also we are connecting with the、uh, the external data source, the bureau data, to build up the whole the credit score model for each of the user. So based on this score, actually we are assigning the credit limit to each of the users. And sometimes, even when the user make the payment, our risk team will identify. Whether this payment will go through or not at the order level, so there are two steps. The first step is based on all the information the risk team will give、uh, assign a credit limit, but at the payment level, the risk team will still do a validation step. Yeah, so this is the first question, and the second question. I believe at the beginning stage we are not running any of the user acquisition activities from our own perspective. So we are not running the、uh, the performance marketing. We are not running anything. So we are leveraging the merchants network to acquire the users for Atomi. So this is the beginning、uh, strategy. But after that, we have I think we have more than well we have more than five hundred merchants, and also the name of Atomi in Singapore market and in Hong Kong market is becomes you know quite well known. So we started to do the user acquisition by our own. Yeah. So until right now, we are still doing this user acquisition in two ways. One is still leveraging, partnering with the merchants to run some of the campaigns to acquire their users and to be onboarded into Atomi platform. And another one is how we are gradually increase our budget、uh, into this user acquisition by our own. Yeah. So this is the second question. And the third question. Sorry, I cannot recall the third question. Yeah. Yeah. Third. Yeah. 
the third question was like for example you have customers who have good behavior and customers and you um, might not say back are there any yeah. penalties or charges that you put on the que- uh, customer there and if there is do you just write off them as a bad customer or you uh, how do you model it in terms of your profitability for bad customers specifically got it got it yeah so we do have the late charge to be honest if default for the second payment or third payment actually we are charging you a flat fee so it's a very uh, transparent information with the users and also the fee that we charge is j- just a flat fee uh, 5 singapore dollars or sing- uh, 10 singapore dollars that's all and once you pay back this late fee uh, your account will be unfreezed yeah so this is the the only fee that we charge and uh, not like the the banks they are charging a compound interest the uh, it's more than uh, 20% or even 30% annually so we only charge a flat fee but we do have this kind of red off because of the bad debt because we are running a long business and that's why we need to have a very strong risk team risk management team and they have risk engine at the back end they are adjusting the different strategies not in a real time but quite frequently so we are trying to control this bad debt rate in a very low level in the developing uh, developed countries uh, like singapore hong kong the, the users are generally better than the the users in the you know developing countries like indonesia or philippines we have a different appetite regarding the risk management and how much how many percentage of the bad debt we 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 may have and, and also we have a different financial products for different markets as well so in indonesia actually we are not charging we are not uh, charging the you we are charging the users a membership fee in order to cover back this bad debt so yeah so different countries we have a different risk strategy and also the the default rate is different but the unit economic is pretty okay controlled at the current stage but we are still facing quite a few new threats from some of the, the electronic merchants like apple like the some of the the electronic merchants like samsung even in singapore we are going to partner with starhub they're selling the phones so electronic category is the most dangerous category that uh, for a bnpl company because users just need to pay one third so they step out of the shop they sell off the phone mm. and they default so they earn the rest of the bill yeah so we have a uh, different strategies catering for different category of the merchants as well and all these things actually are under the risk management team yeah thanks for sharing this is a very detailed information and all the best for you as well thank uh, you thank you time permitted uh, there was just one follow up question to, to what you shared as well do you manage the returns and refunds that happen between merchants and customers because there could be a time where the customer is unsatisfied with what he's got from the merchant and the merchant said you know what i've shipped the right product and you are the one who's taken the credit risk of uh, ensuring that the payment goes through uh, across both sides is that something you face a lot uh, specifically in categories like electronics or other categories where you think there's a high risk in it yeah very good question so to be honest we make it very clear at the beginning when we partner with the merchants all the refunds initiated will be by the merchants and all the refund actually is uh, the agreement between the users and the merchants themselves but once we receive the refund uh, the refund request from the merchants we will just do it so this is the current practice if there's some dispute happened some users are reported my card was stolen by by somebody else they used my account to place the order so we will bring back this dispute uh, cases and talk to the banks from a tommy point of view yeah thanks man thanks for sharing such detailed information really appreciate it that's all from my side thanks monica for bringing me on stage again
thank you Sachit thanks so much Stephen I'm going to reset the room my the hands keep uh, getting raised so I need to okay. make sure that we are able to answer all the questions but uh, for anyone who's joining and new to the conversation or who's been listening for some time and wondering what we're talking about so we I started talking to uh, Stephen about his career uh, in product management and of course his uh, journey into the buy now pay later product that he is currently heading at Atomi and we were just diving into what it means to uh, not only create a buy now product later but why it is the hottest and biggest phenomena in fintech and payments right now and we just started i opened up hand raise and we've had a slew of great questions coming from the audience thank you everyone for being so engaged and being such great listeners uh, really appreciate you not only patiently waiting but also asking very insightful questions and i'm sure it is going to help everyone who is listening in now if you're new to uh, clubhouse or if you're new to asian digital super movers then i request you to please follow uh, me in the following steps please go to the greenhouse icon at the top of your page uh, click on asian digital super movers you will see a page that gives you allows you to do a quick follow once you are able to follow you will be able to see all the club information including our socials on twitter on linkedin and our telegram group where we frequently post information especially about our rooms of course upcoming guests and also solicit ideas and feedback on what we can do better who we can bring on as speakers and what subjects we should be talking about so this is a community for you and we have grown a lot thanks to each one of you who has been referring a lot of friends and there are friends who I can see in the followed by speakers list who have been doing the greatest job possible by referring their own friends and networks. So thank you again. Please do follow the moderators, the speaker Stephen and of course every single person who you might find will be useful for you to uh, listen in so that your hallway and your uh, conversations on Clubhouse are curated in a manner that you always end up in being uh, in really great rooms. Now also if you when you want to raise your hand uh, when you want to raise your hand and come up to stage all you need to do is click on the hand raise icon at the bottom right of your page and we'll bring you up now Moses I wanted to just quickly check in are you able to speak now and do you have a better network no Monica okay Moses maybe you can just DM me your question on Twitter and I'll ask it to Steven because we can barely hear you Okay, moving on to Akriti. Akriti, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and quickly shoot your question to Steven. Thank you, Monica. I myself transitioned into the product space recently and I'm looking at product strategy and growth for BNPL at Pine Labs. So I think it was very interesting to listen to this conversation. I actually have two questions. One is uh, since your BNPL product is targeted at uh, Gen Z and it's in fashion category, which is a very high return category. So are you envisioning a product where you customers are just required to pay for the products they actually end up buying? I think Klarna has something similar where you buy products and then in the end, whatever you keep, you are able to convert into installments only for those. And my second question is more around, uh, you mentioned that customer insights are very important to you. So do you talk to customers, try and understand which kind of merchants would they want BNPL at? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we just launched a partnership with uh, Penlight in, in Malaysia. So uh, we are officially a partner. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just saw that news. So that's a great one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Re regarding the first question, I actually, I don't quite get it. So what kind of insight that you want me to share? Beg your pardon? 
So basically, I wanted to understand: Are you envisioning any product which tackles the returns in fashion category? Because it's a very high return category. Say, I'm a customer. I'm buying ten items, but ultimately, I'm only going to keep two of those. So I would be interested in paying, uh, you know, converting it into installments only for the two items I keep, rather than those ten that I bought initially. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. you know, uh. The way that the Atomi works or the BMPL works, actually, at a cashier, the user need to pay all the items that、uh, they're getting, which means if they are not satisfied regarding some of the clothes or apparels, they need to negotiate the refund with the merchants after the the deal. But whether the merchants accept this refund request is purely is a purely you know merchant's decision. So we are not、uh, bearing the refund request from Atomi side. But from the data we collected right now, actually the refund rate from the Singapore or even Hong Kong market is pretty low, to be honest. Especially for these fashion merchants, even less than five percent of the return rate. Yeah, from my perspective and the data I have right now, I don't see a trend that refund is going to be increased a lot, and it's still quite controllable. Yeah. Got it. I think this must be a very specific trend in India. Then, <laughs>、uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So, what is the 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 second question? Sorry. My second question was more around: Are you also speaking to customers to understand、oh. what kind of merchants they would want to see BNPL at? Just、Got、trying、it. to get insights from them. Yeah. Since the business model is B two B two C, as a product manager. You know, or the head of product. I'm not only managing the consumer-facing product, which is the mobile app. There are more than ten different systems at the back end that they are being built by different product managers in order to support this very simple mobile app at front end. And also, we have a dedicated team working on the merchant product in order to enable the merchants to track all the transactions coming from Atomi to see the re- the reconciliation status. And to download the settlement report, and even do some kind of a、uh, basic data analysis. I would say my product managers they are required to talk to both the merchants and the users very frequently to understand the pinpoints coming from the users and the merchants at the same time. Then we do a cross check. What are the pinpoints that Atomi created for the users, and what are the pinpoints coming from the merchants that we haven't solved yet? And also, we frequently are doing this kind of a user survey、uh, to collect what kind of merchants that user want to see in Atomi platform. Then we filter out. Okay, maybe th- these are the merchants have a high chance that can be added into、uh, Atomi merchant list. So we will have our you know BD team talking to all these merchants specifically. Yeah. So I would say as a product manager, no matter how、uh, senior you are, you need to be.、Uh, In the、uh, underground with your users, or if you are doing a B two B product, you need to talk to your the companies or even the merchants for frequently, and there's no doubt about it. Understood. Thank you so much. This is super helpful. No problem. Thank you. Thank you, Riti, for asking your question. And regarding the first question, I was actually planning to do an e-commerce session very soon, where I'll be talking about how cash and delivery is actually being、uh, disrupted in India, and how how big merchants are actually taking the leap. So I'll definitely invite you into that one. That's coming right up in next couple of weeks. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Akriti. Hi, Surbhi. Welcome. Uh, hi, uh, amazing insights. I have two questions.、Uh, one is, do you see this product consumption patterns or、uh, con- you know overall con- consumption 
especially in india which is still under lockdown in different situations or helping companies that are msme or small uh, medium businesses and second question is uh, so ba- large banks in india like hdfc had something similar in 2018 and in india the credit credit card uh, penetration is very low so do you see banks start giving these sort of products do you see that as a competition or uh, is it still how do you see it like fintech growing faster than banks can uh, get this out got it uh, let me answer the second question first you know uh Yeah, so we see some of the banks in Singapore, even Hong Kong, they started to running this BNPL business already. Like in Singapore, uh, Citibank, or OCBC, or DBS, they are already promoting their own BNPL solutions in the market for a long time. But the thing is, there's a, a natural shortage of the, the acceptance of such service because, first of all, you need to have this bank's credit card. So this is the first blocker. But for the Gen Z people, actually, to me, it's targeting. Uh, we see the data. Actually, at least 40 to 50% of the, the Gen Z people, they don't have a credit card. And this is the first blocker. For the second blocker, if they are promoting this kind of, they need to partner with the merchants, which means the merchants need to negotiate the deal with DBS Bank. But the thing is, the, negotiating, uh, the negotiation process and the speed is pretty slow. You know how banks work, right? That's why the gene, instead of banks, they are still running this thing as a bank. They are not running this thing as an internet company. That's why there are too many things that is not cleared in terms of the, uh, the operation perspective, the product support perspective, or even the user experience, uh, user experience perspective. That's why the adoption for such services from the banks is very low. And comparing to the speed of the purely BNPL-focused companies, they are far behind. Yeah, so this is the uh, the insight I have for Singapore and Hong Kong markets. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, sorry, what was the first question again? The first question was a large consumer base and it's been a rich in helping grow the consumption or getting consumption back to... Yeah, good question, to be honest. In Singapore, actually, we after three months after we launched the product, Singapore went to the lockdown phases already. So that's why we quickly switched our uh, focus from offline merchants to online merchants. And right now, the traffic coming from the online offline is, uh, is almost half. But we are receiving a lot of uh, offline merchants. They are trying to, to evolve themselves to be an online-focused merchants because of the COVID situation and also because of the, the overall trend from the e-commerce industry. That's why we have a dedicated team helping all these offline purely offline merchants to enable them to be online using uh, different kind of uh, e-commerce builders like Shopify, you know, WooCommerce, Salesforce, PrestaShop, all these kind of platform build- builders. We have a dedicated team to work with them to enable the online shopping experience. So this is the trend we see from all these partner merchants from Atomi currently. And we do see the online uh, number of transactions are picking up and slowly overpass the offline transactions during the lockdown period. Singapore, for the past month, we, we are only allowed to go outside in a group of two, which means a lot of merchants, offline merchants, are facing this traffic issue. So we are able to help all these merchants to bring back the traffic from online. So this is another unique value proposition from Atomi that we are doing right now. 
Uh, thanks, Jeevan. I appreciate your detailed answers to all these questions. Yeah, thank you. All the best to you. Thank you, Subhi, for asking your question. We have Shruti next. Hi, Shruti. Welcome. Please shoot your question. Hi, Monica. Hi, Steven. Hi. As a Pine Labs member here. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm actually um, very new to fintech, so my question might sound very noob, and please excuse me for that. It's okay. <laughs> my my question is: when we use BNPL for a MSME merchant, another product available is an invoice financing. So, which of the two do you think is a better proposition from the point of view of both the merchant and the company providing it? Because I suppose both of them almost do the same, and my understanding here is probably incorrect. Uh, sorry, what was the, uh, the the second option you're comparing with? Uh, invoice financing. Invoice financing. Can, yes, we have this product in India where for the consumer who's not paid you yet, you can take a loan from the bank showing the invoice that has been raised to the consumer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so which means I'm pretty new <laughs> to, to this industry as well. <laughs> Yeah, so for this invoice financing, to be honest, this is the first time I I heard about it. Yeah, and I, yeah, so based on my understanding so far, I cannot share. Sorry about it. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, probably Thank this you. is the uh, you know, India-specific product, financial product. I honestly thought this was common, but yeah. I mean, because MSMEs <laughs> are very prevalent uh, around the entire Malaysia, Indonesia sector as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, thank you so much. It's okay, sorry about it. No worries. Uh, thank you, Shruti. Hi, Divya, welcome. Thank you for patiently waiting. Please shoot your question. Hi, Monica. Uh, hi, Steven. I am working in credit anal analytics and innovation in one of the banks. And I'm also new to this field, particularly BNPL. So I have two questions. First question is, so you uh, spoke about the risk strategy when offering BNPL to customers. Uh, I want to understand uh, the kind of data that you collect uh, for the customers. Banks also collect uh, data when approving an application and then of course uh, during the whole collection life cycle they do track delinquencies, bureau data etc. How is the information gathered uh, from the customer uh, to check whether they, are, they will not default uh, is different from what a bank collects. That's one. And how is that information verified? Second question is around everybody has been speaking about MSME and like fintech innovations uh, like BNPL via POS have uh, seen a greater uptick uh, in like COVID times. So what are some of the innovation in terms of business apps on the POS devices for offline stores that we will see in future? Okay, yeah. So for the first one, for different countries, we are collecting different information from the users. In Singapore, the credit rating for Singapore is pretty good. So we only uh, collect uh, some basic information like your legal name, date of birth, IC number, and email. That's it. And also we are connecting with Singapore MyInfo for which is a government, you know, government authentic authentic uh, information from the all the Singaporean. Uh, all the Singaporeans. So a user is able to connect with this my info service and they will just retrieve all the information that we asked from the users and uh, feed the information to us. So which make the whole payment experience is pretty smooth. But in other countries, like in, in Indonesia, actually we are collecting around 11 different fields that user need to input. And also we need to check whether this user is a real person or not. So they need to do a selfie 
and also they need to have uh, this kind of uh, leftness check and uh, we will validate all this kind of information at the back end and i i do feel for different countries we are we also trying to remove the frictions uh, from the payment experience but the thing is from different countries as a different the development stage for the, uh, the financial infrastructure and also the credit scoring systems that's why the strategy for Atomi in developed countries, we are trying to remove the frictions as much as possible. And in the developing countries, even though we are negotiating all these uh, fields with the risk team, but sometimes we cannot remove some of the fields in order to safeguard uh, our risk management performance. Yeah. Okay. My second question was around the, Sorry, uh, yeah, uh, I will have to intervene only because there are a lot of people waiting. If we are able to finish with the line of questions and Stephen is able to wait, then I'll definitely come back to you in line. If you could hold on. Thank you. Hi, Gaurav. Thank you for waiting patiently. Uh, please ask your question. Hey, Monica. Hi, Stephen. Gaurav here from Singapore. So we could probably have coffee or drinks later. Yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> I am so just a quick intro I'm part of a bank I've always been part of one or the other bank mostly into info cyber security and more recently into IT risk regulatory that sort of thing so my questions will be more from the regulatory aspect of it mm. first question slightly business related what would you then be categorized as are you then essentially like you said you're working closely with MAS maybe other regulators are you seen then in a sense, as a money lending business, because you take on that risk, the users pay you instead of a bank. And whether then, I don't know, licensed money lender or those kind of guidelines or things like MASTRM or Notice 655 would be applicable to you. That's the first question. And related to that, given your thinking, I'm guessing you're on cloud. So there's various, I don't know, security, privacy aspects around that. Are there any tips you wish to share with the audience here without getting to, I don't know, specific or confidential? Got it. Yeah. So for the first question, in a shop, in a nutshell, actually, we are getting this lending license from MAS right now. And yeah, and I we believe this license is coming out probably during Q3. Yeah, and that's why we are working very closely with S to sort it out how we're going to utilize this license and what are the, the compliance features or the things that we need to build up from also the from both the front end and also the back end systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and mm -hmm. for the second question, to be honest, Tommy was moving too fast <laughs> that MES <laughs> didn't have the chance to, to monitor. Yeah, so I would say when we become pretty big, then yes, come back to see, okay, we need to regulate Atomi to regulate this BMW well, industry. Yeah. I don't know. It only takes one breach is what I always tell my friends. So I don't know. It's something to keep in mind. But corollary to that, PDPA, is that applicable to you? Because you mentioned earlier, you do collect some customer info. You may be yes. storing it. You may be managing it. Do you have the relevant pieces in place to manage from that aspect dpo and all of that or yes is this because you're a fintech so you this is something that you will bring on board as you go along okay yeah from the very beginning actually we have the dpo and we have the the compliance manager even though we are not because 
right now we don't have any official regulation coming from yes but we are trying to regulate mm. us from the beginning that's why the pdpa thing is is well in place at the beginning so mm. this is the the must have okay. piece yeah and but other than that we are just fly uh, as fast as we can <laughs> <laughs> fantastic and all the very best yeah you're a competitor you. in a sense <laughs> Thank you. Thank, thank you, Monica. Back to you. Thank you, Gaurav. Hi, and Radha. Welcome. Please shoot your question. Hi, Monica. Uh, hi, Stephen. Hi. My question is: so I'm talking from the perspective of India more, and what we have seen is that a lot of these e-commerce players, also like Amazon or ride-hailing services, who are technically the customers of BNPL Solutions, they are also launching BNPL. So, how do you think this equation between the merchants and the pure play BNPL providers will play out? And do you see it as a risk? Yeah, absolutely. Grab launched their Grab Pay Later, and they have a very aggressive marketing campaigns. Yeah. you know uh, credit limit so my experience from beginning I only have a $100 uh, credit limit uh, for this email which is low and I, I even have uh, so uh, we are seeing quite a from uh, but the thing you know, uh, one thing the is, is uh, all these big brands they are very hard to deal with and uh, it took months uh, for at the beginning So they don't want to, you know, uh, to connect with you uh, with A uh, in Singapore, with B uh, in Hong Kong again. And the legal compliance things take off. Me right now, a very good position, uh, which means uh, at least 70% of the retail group is Uh, the number of questions you have. Thank you.
the numbers don't come with small players but the problem with And there are two options for them. The first one is they are doing they are doing such things by their own, which requires some of the licenses before they can do it. And the second one, they will look for the partners. So to be honest, we already in a partnership with Amazon in the whole Asia region. So we are finalizing the you know the contract. Pretty much we are there because we have the license in different countries. Amazon doesn't have. Yeah. So that's why running this kind of a payment service. The companies do have some some of the the, the blockers. It's not like uh, you want to do it, then you can just do it. Yeah. So uh, building up all this kind of infrastructure, the risk management system, the compliance system is quite quite a huge hassle to do. Yeah. So it takes time. If the if the big merchants they want to set up all this kind of BMPL service, I think in Asia region the best option for them is to select one of the partners. Yeah. And also for the second one, the, for the second question. We do have the collection team, but we are we are in Indonesia. We are able to control the default rate at less than five percent, which is pretty good already. So, which is not causing a lot of the bad debt for us. That's why our collection agent. We do engage the, some of the、uh, collection agent. And but the practice that we are trying to to implement is to we are trying to build up the relationship with the users because、uh, we are not a loan shark and we just want to build the relationship and at the same time to build up the、uh, the awareness of the brand. We are not that、uh, concerned about the collection efficiency because、uh, the average basket size from our users、uh, is pretty low.、Uh, like I said, it's only between one hundred to two hundred USD dollars. Even they default, we can still afford it. But the payback behavior right now in different countries is very well controlled. Yeah. What was the 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 third question again? Ah,、uh, yeah. The third one was when it comes to underwriting. So banks as a、uh, banks and also these ah、uh, third party players who wants to tie up with the bank, they have a better data to do underwriting compared to individual BN players. Yeah. So regarding the underwriting, actually we are. Yeah, that's why we have this competitive advantage as well. And、uh, comparing to other BNPL players, we are the most funded startup in this field in the Asia region right now. Yeah, and we are under this advanced intelligence group. We are Series C funded. In total, is I think it's one hundred thirty-six million USD dollars funded, and we are closing another round very soon. Yeah, I believe from the underwriting or also even from the funding、uh, point of view, our big brands partners. Do ask us about this question. What are the the, the source of your fund, and how you're gonna manage the risk, and how many money you have? And we are able to answer all these questions very successfully in order to convince them to partner with us. Yeah, 
BNPL is a long business, and also there will be certain risk that you are losing money. And if you are using your own money, that will be even risky. So that's why we are using this two-way strategy based on the the user profile. We may connect some of the the funding partners from outside and to give the loan to the users. And sometimes we are using our own fund to to release the loan. Yeah. Thank you, Shivan. Uh, I got it clarified, and uh, loud your honesty of saying like BNPL is just a, a new design product uh, on top of the loan product. Loud your honesty there. Thanks a lot for clarifications. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kiritharan. I'm now going to request Divya. Why don't you complete your question? You've also been waiting. Then we'll come to Piyush, Sahana, and Arpan, and also Mushir has been waiting for the longest period of time as well. So we'll request everybody who is now asking questions to please keep them very short and concise. Divya, please go ahead. Thanks, Monica. So I was asking that there has been a major uptick uh, in the offline stores, BNPL wire point of sale devices. So what will be the what trends do you see in this area in future? And particularly during COVID time, we have seen an uptick. And what kind of business apps uh, will we see uh, for these kind of cost devices uh, to enable BNPL kind of solutions uh, for it. the banks, fintechs, and NPL? Got it. Yeah. So actually, for the BMPL, the offline setup and online setup and the online setup is you know pretty different. And the offline setup, actually, we are not trying to integrate with the uh, the POS system that the merchants is using. And we just place one of the uh, the 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 atomic QR code at the cashier. And user use the app to make the payment, and the the merchant staff. We just see the transactions using the the Atomi Merchant Portal, which is developed for the merchants by Atomi, and we know the deployment for Atomi payment solution is the key. So we cannot wait until the POS service provider to integrate with Atomi, even though we have this capability to do it. So that's why offline setup. I do see the trend for some of the big merchants like Zara, you know, like H and M. Actually, they wanted to engage their POS service provider to integrate with Atomi into their post system, but this uh, this takes a long time. All these big merchants they are trying to elevate their sales. That's why at the initial stage, uh, they will accept we place our QR at the cashier first. But at the same time, we are going to integrate with their post system, and this is the current trend. I would say. Okay, thank you. Mm. Thank you, Divya. Mushir, why don't you please ask your question now? Mushir, by the way, is also the co-founder of the club, and he himself is a fintech found, FinStep Asia founder and a fintech influencer. So, welcome to the stage, Mushir. Please go ahead, ask your question. Thank you, Monica. Learning a lot, Stephen. I know you touched upon the regulatory aspect of this before, uh, and it's interesting that you guys are looking to get regulated, but except for UK and Australia. You really haven't seen any regulations yet on uh, BNPL. My question is a slightly different question. Uh, I wanted to understand from the data point that you're collecting: Are you seeing any distinct demographics or fluency when it comes to your uh, clients? Is there, you know, any interesting stats that you could share? Oh, okay. Yeah, so I can share some of the 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 demographics of my user. I would say from the high level. Yeah, so sixty percent should be male. No, sorry, sixty percent. Sixty percent should be female, and forty percent should be male. And also the age range, seventy percent should be around eighteen to twenty-eight. Yeah, and which is the our target audience we want to target. Yeah. 
Yeah, so another 20% should be millennials, above 30. Very few of the users actually the above 40. Yeah, so this is this demographic is quite aligned with uh, the market research we've, uh, we've done. So only the millennials and the Gen Z people they have they don't they don't refuse to try this installment plan. Even even they have enough money, they probably uh, want to give a try. Yeah, and from the repeat purchase wise, this is the key metric we are tracking. And the repeat purchase majority of the repeat purchase actually coming from the Gen Z people, less than twenty four years old. Yeah. Okay. Babe, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much. I'm going to do a quick room reset. Thank you everyone for joining us. Some everybody who's joining us now, please do raise your hands and ask your questions if you're if you haven't asked a question already. We have the head of uh, Atomy, Stephen, uh, who's joined us, and he's been actually patiently answering questions for the last about I think 90 to 100 minutes already. So really, thank you, Stephen. I know it's very late for you. However, in the interest of time and of course for all the people who are in stage, we're still going to head go ahead and answer the questions. But if there is at least one or two last questions then please do raise your hands before I turn off hand raising. Now for those who have joined us in the audience and still haven't followed the club, please do that by clicking on the greenhouse icon at the top of your page. You will be able to see a follow button. Once you are able to see that, please do click on follow. You will be able to see all the room uh, that we have planned for the upcoming weeks. We definitely have series running and we have an exciting bunch of rooms coming up just this weekend including how to actually become an AI product manager which is coming on Saturday so please do join us also uh, do uh, remember to follow our socials on uh, Twitter LinkedIn and Telegram we are available on AD super movers which is A for Asian D for digital and then super movers we would really uh, appreciate if you dropped us a message followed us and gave us feedback we always try to make sure that we listen to you and uh, also bring in speakers associated with the subjects such as the one today Last but not the least, do follow the uh, speakers, the moderators, and of course everybody who, are, who you are finding in the room. You are able to curate the conversations on Clubhouse the way you want it. So if you are following these people who have similar interests, you will end up being in rooms where you will be learning a lot. Uh, now without further ado, I'll hand over to Piyush. Piyush, uh, in the interest of time, please just give us a line about yourself and then shoot your question quickly to Steven. Thank you, Monica, for bringing me up. I'm an applied AI ML practitioner. I've been in the data industry for the last uh, uh, 30 years. Big companies, PwC and IBM, and now with the AI ML startup ecosystem. My question for Stephen is, uh, in the BNPL market, what is the risk modeling that you guys do? And what is the appetite of the companies for default by virtue of having worked with similar models in banking industry in my past life? Um, I know the appetite of uh, big banks is lower, but I would like to get the latest perspectives. Thank you very much. This is Piyush. I'm done speaking. Got it. Cool. Actually, I'm not able to answer your qu the first question because the risk rules of engines actually is a black box for all of us. They keep it quite uh, secret. They won't expose any logic behind. So even me, I cannot look into the details how they set up the logic at the back end. Yeah, but I can answer the second question. The appetite for the risk management from a pure yeah, fintech yeah. company. Yeah, so the appetite for the risk management for BNPL, pure, purely BNPL company. Yeah, yeah. I actually, we, we, yeah, we don't uh, have that strict requirements from the users. 
So we do have a quite loose kind of risk management rules, but we see some of the the, the transactions. For example, the second or third transactions is not that safe. Uh, the risk team will still uh, block you. Yeah, but at the beginning, we do want to involve the users as many as possible. Great. One more question I want to squeeze in: Which are the uh, biggest BNPL apps that you would recommend somebody has to partner with? Okay, so in the Asia region, definitely Atomi. So we are the biggest already. And uh, uh, for other regions, I think Australia, New Zealand should be, you know, Afterpay. In Europe, it should be Kalana. And in US, Kalana, Afterpay, from they are all in that country already. Yeah. So I I do believe as a merchant, you better to partner with the well-known uh, BNPL players at the beginning. The risk will be much lower. Thank you very much, and no I appreciate your answers. Thank you, Piyush. Hi, Sahana. Welcome. Please ask your question. Hello, Monica. Hey, Stephen. Thank you for uh, letting me speak. I am a product manager at Zestmoney. We give lender, we give consumer loans to the customers. My questions, actually, Stephen, is I just want to understand why BNPL has become such a big product overall the globe because for me the financials don't really make sense the cost of uh, acquiring the customer evaluating the customer repayment collection collecting the collections cost risk cost don't really add up to any margin got it yeah okay so yeah let's take one step back which is the business model again we are partnering with the merchants. So we are trying to onboard the merchants as many as possible. And the merchants are the BNPL ambassadors. They are helping us to acquire the users. So these are the unique proposition for a BNPL company. And as a pure lending business, probably you are just give the money to the users straight away. And as a BNPL business model, actually merchants is the key. And now uh, that's why we spend a lot of effort uh, to educate the merchants, to partner with the merchants, to acquire their users using Atomi. So this is the unique thing coming from uh, uh, BMPL. Got it. So on uh, to follow up on that, so there are quite a few uh, companies that are acquiring customers directly and not uh, doing it via the merchants. So how does it work out for them? Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know what it, what is the the current business stage uh, they are in, but based on my experience, if you are acquiring the users directly using your own money without a very strong merchant network, the retention of the users won't be great. So this is I would say ninety nine percent true. The only uh, time that you started to do the user acquisition by your own is when you have enough enough merchants to support this use case which is user can pay uh, through some of the merchants online or offline. So that's why different players may have different strategies. But my experience, my experience is without a strong merchant network or okay merchant network, don't do the user acquisition by your own. That's a very good point, Stephen. That's mm. a really great point. And I think we sometimes forget that. Sahana, yeah, yeah. did this uh, answer your question? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Stephen, Monica. Thank you, Hannah. Hi, Arpan. Welcome to Clubhouse. Thank you for waiting. Please shoot your question. Thanks a lot, Monica. 
Hi, this is Arfan. So I have a quick question on basically uh, from India context. So, so in India regulation, so is BNPL considered as number one? So does it come within the compliance boundary of uh, digital lending in RBI? Hey, Arpan, like, sorry for interrupting you, but I think it is probably better answered at a in a at a later time. Stephen is uh, Stephen. If I'm not wrong, your product is not in India yet, right? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Arpan, we'll take it up in a separate room. Just want to be cognizant of the time. Uh, Stephen is in Singapore. It's getting very late for him, but this is a good question, and I do plan. I'll definitely plan a India-specific room on not just buy now pay later, but also credit. So do stay tuned in. Just taking note. of that thank you so much for asking this question if you have any follow up question could you do me a favor just dm the questions to me i'll definitely bring it up in the next show great thanks for monica thank, thank you. you thanks for them thank thanks happen hi sara welcome please shoot your question thank you monica hi steven i'm sara i'm an impact investor and i specialize in uh, delivery of credit in emerging market for the low income so very interested by your presentation and thank you very much for the overview i have one question would you be able to share with us a comparative interest rate charged to the consumers when they are paying late and therefore are using the the product not as you have built it but are unfortunately not being able to pay on time could you compare this interest rate for me with the credit card that they are probably not accessing anyways but just to get a broad sense of what it cost to a customer who unfortunately has not understood or cannot comply with the payment schedule thank you got it so i think 90% of the bnpl players they are not charging the late fee in terms of the the percentage of the order so they are just charging a flat fee so just $5 $10 or even $15 that's all so this is the the value proposition from all the bnpl players comparing to the bank credit card default rate so bank are charging a compound interest if you are late if you pay late but all the bnpl they just charge you a, a flat fee so very transparent very simple to understand and also there's uh, no more other hidden rules yeah thank so you. Yeah. thank you so much this is clear can you just tell me what's the average purchase ticket that you're financing oh okay in different countries it's pretty the average basic size is pretty different so what i can share is a singapore market is around 100 to 200 dollars uh, singapore dollars yeah okay Okay, mm. and so on these hundred or two hundred, you're charging a five to fifteen Singapore dollar late flight fee. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much, Stephen. That gives me a broad sense to compare it to uh, other uh, financially inclusive proposition that I'm seeing in multiple markets, and I will reach out to you separately. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, Sara. Hi, Anupa. You have the pleasure of the last question. <laughs> so thanks so much, Monica, for the opportunity, <laughs> and hi, Stephen. Hi. Okay, two short questions actually. So uh, basically, I lead the partnerships and uh, business development for a pay later product in India. So my questions are uh, slightly motion centric. Uh, you mentioned you focusing on fashion and beauty as a category or the partnerships uh, uh, from a partnerships perspective. So are there any specific use cases that you've identified for these merchants? And the second would be what's the what are the numbers in Singapore, Hong Kong versus let's say Indonesia and Malaysia? Thank you. Okay, before we run the business, we did a quite a in-depth market research and user research. So what we understand, the potential coming from the Gen Z people should be pretty high, and they are not refusing trying this kind of product in the market if we have it. 
That's why based on this target audience, actually, we identify what are the merchants categories that the Gen Z people uh, are shopping from most, most frequently. That's why we set up this merchant strategy, the fashion apparel, beauty service and beauty products are the most shopped categories from the Gen Z people. You know, yeah, so this is how we come up with uh, this merchant acquisition strategy. But along the way, uh, we see some of the uh, our, our users, they do shop from some other uh, categories, the fitness, like the, the travel. So we gradually enhance our merchants category along the way. Yeah, so I hope I, I answer your, your first question. Yep. Yeah, regarding the second question, could you just repeat again? What's the share of checkout compared to other payment methods? And oh, okay. how, how do the dynamics differ in, let's say, a developed country, Singapore, Hong Kong, versus, let's say, Indonesia and Malaysia? Got it, comparatively got it. Thank you. Yeah, there are two ways uh, to use the, uh, the Atomi's uh, service. The first way is you are browsing merchant's website. So at the checkout page, uh, you will see Atomi as one of the payment options. Then you can select it, and then you will use your app to scan the QR code and make the payment. So another way is you are using Atomi app. So browse the, the partner merchants in the app, then jump to merchant's website and make the payment eventually. Yeah, and the take-up rate for different types of merchants will be pretty different. So on average, uh, in Singapore market, for the fashion product merchants like Sephora, sometimes we see around 25 to 30 percentage of the payment eventually it was paid by Benopelator which is Atomi. But this is uh, probably during the campaign stage. But during the normal stage, the normal period, actually uh, the take-up rate should be around 10 to 15% at the current stage. Yeah. Great. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, and the take-up rate actually is uh, keep increasing right now because the, uh, okay. you know, the brand awareness and the user habit and also the service we are providing is pretty uh, seamless. That's why the take-up is uh, slowly uh, increasing. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Thank you. Cool. Thank you so much, Anupa. And uh, before we get to the last very penal, sorry, last section of this particular conversation, just wanted to remind everyone uh, to please do follow uh, the Asian Digital Supermovers. We have a very packed weekend, as I just was told, coming up. And actually, I have two rooms on the same day. So Saturdays and Sundays is going to be super exciting and a very set of interesting topics that we have planned right ahead for you. So all you need to do is click on the Asian Digital Supermovers greenhouse icon at the top of your page. And once you do that, you'll be able to see a follow button. Also do follow moderate, the moderators and of course, Stephen. And Stephen, do you, I just realized right now that I haven't actually covered more than three questions that <laughs> I had originally planned with yeah. me. So, <laughs> this has never happened before in any of my conversations. So you can see that why not pay later is hot. It's really hot on Clubhouse as well. And thank you for being so patient. But before I let you go, I'm going to do a quick rapid fire, which is going to be very short, very quick. But at the same time, I hope people get to know a little bit more about you rather than just about the product and of course, all that you do at work. So first, are you ready? Yeah, sure. Awesome. So first question, technical PM, growth PM, data PM, or just PM, your preference? My preference is just PM. Wonderful. Yeah, do you like working from home or do you hate it? Uh, half, half. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is your favorite PM hack? I'll talk to the users, please. Yes, awesome. What is the bigger high for you? Identifying and creating a great product requirement or getting user feedback? 
Wonderful. Which of the following have you not tried? Intermittent fasting, zero inbox or digital detox? <laughs> zero inbox. <laughs> <laughs> that is expected. <laughs> Do you prefer books or OTT? Uh, books. Wonderful. Do you like podcasts or clubhouse? Right now, clubhouse. Wonderful. This is because of our session, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you like blogs or do you like books when you're trying to learn a subject? Books. Right. What is your last used emoji? Uh, crying. <laughs> that is us every day, Steve. Wonderful. <laughs> a, pro- a product blog that you recommend to the audience? Yeah, I always check out this tabakhunk.com. So a lot of fun new ideas coming out. Yeah. And last but not the least, a podcast you always listen to. No, I never listen to the podcast. I only listen to Clubhouse. Wonderful. And we would love to have you as a guest and have you back on the show. I, like I said, I've not been able to cover even one fourth of my questions. So I'm really grateful to you for making the time and for accommodating this late start from my side. Really appreciate you uh, staying up so late and of course answering so many questions so patiently. This has probably been one of the most knowledge building sessions for me as well. Really thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all the audience who's listening in, a big thank you for intently listening in and asking all these amazing questions. Please do come back we'll definitely try to get steven back again very soon thank you monica thank you all thank you steven bye bye Bye, everyone i'll close the room in the next 10 to 15 seconds thanks again bye